a reading from the book of Exodus. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of, the, out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The word of the Lord. Pray with me. Oh God, may the words that proceed from my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And may we this day find the water from the rock that we have come here seeking to find. Amen. I grew up in a household where my father, being the basketball coach that he is, waited for months for one particular edition of the newspaper to come out every October. That was the edition that contained the top basketball players in high schools in the state of Tennessee. He waited on this as if Santa were coming in mid-October. But from all of those conversations that I had with him over the years around this paper, I had all the vocabulary that it took to talk about the first team All-State, the second team All-State, and the who to watch category. So I thought growing up that this was just a phenomenon that was for the exclusive die-hard sports fans. But much to my surprise, there is a list that comes out so often for those die-hard wordsmithers as well. You see, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary maintains and periodically publishes a list of words to watch. Now, these are the words that are being seen in our everyday English, but they are not yet at the place where they could meet the criteria to get their spot in the dictionary. In my opinion, one of the most brilliant words that finds itself on the current list is the word hangry. H-A-N-G-R-Y. It's a combination of the words hungry and angry. It's someone who is agitated because of their hunger. It's classified unofficially as that stage that you get to right past hunger. It changes your demeanor just a little bit. The origination of this word is unknown. Some have said that it started with a YouTube video 
a few years back. But you may be familiar with it from the Snickers commercials, the ones where it shows people transformed, transformed in their image even, anywhere from a bear to Betty White. It shows us that we are changed when we are hangry, our demeanor, and even our attitudes. And so the Snickers commercial picks up the cell line to say, don't let your hunger get the best of you. I don't know what it would be like exactly to leave all of my belongings and travel across the desert without any drink or food, only with a promise from a man who says that God will lead me. But that's where the Israelites found themselves today in this story. They were traveling across the desert. But like any other road trip that you may take with children, just as soon as they pulled out of Egypt, they began to grumble because they were thirsty. So Moses throws a log into the water. It becomes sweet to drink, and then the Israelites are satisfied. Then after they're satisfied with their thirst, they begin to ask, what's for dinner? So then after they complain to Moses for a bit, then God provides for them manna and quail. And again, they are full. So now we pull up to the story that we have here today, and it constitutes the third complaint narrative of the Israelites coming out of the Egyptian grip. This time they find themselves Again, with no water. So they quarrel with Moses again. He offers them a response that's already gobbled up before it could even settle in. And then the text gives us an inkling of why they may be acting as they are. It tells us, but, but the people thirsted there for water. So they complained to Moses and they asked irrational questions that Moses seemed to take as an offense at God rather than an offense at himself. They asked for the third time, did you bring us out here to kill us? Either they didn't trust Moses or they did not trust God. So Moses takes their question, is the Lord with us or not? To mean that they did not trust God. So Moses then beams back at them, why do you test the Lord? A question that Jesus references later in his own conversations with Satan. See, testing demands proof. Proof of the worthiness or the validity of something. So essentially they say, God, prove yourself that you are worthy to be in our presence. Do you have the capabilities it takes to take care of us like you had promised to do? This is the third time that they have been hungry or thirsty. So now their hope is waning and they now demand proof. Their thirst and their hunger began to change their dynamic and their attitudes. And in the eyes of the Israelites, Moses' leadership begins to lose its credibility And all of those promises of God that he spoke of seem to be only just a mirage. You and I do things like that these days as well. We have our demeanors and our attitudes changed when we get thirsty. Hear this story from 1945 about the battle cruiser, the USS Indianapolis, and see what happens 
when these sailors get thirsty. So this battle cruiser was coming, uh, coming back home after delivering enriched uranium to the Allied forces in the Pacific. It didn't make it all the way home because the Japanese torpedo hit the side of it, and in only 12 minutes, it sank. 300 of the 1,200 men died, and the 900 that remained were left to bobble in the ocean for four days and five nights without water and without food underneath the blazing sun of the Pacific. Of the 900 men, only 316 survived the lack of water and the sharks. One of them that survived was the chief medical officer, and he recorded this experience. He said, there was nothing that I could do, nothing except to give advice, to bury the dead at sea, to save the life jackets, and to keep the men from drinking the water. When the hot sun came out, he said, and we were in this crystal clear ocean, we were so thirsty, it was hard to believe that that water was not good to drink. I had a hard time convincing the men that they shouldn't drink it. The real young ones, he says, you take away their hope, you take away their water and their food, they would drink the salt water and they would go fast. I can remember striking the ones who were drinking the salt water to try to stop them, he said. They would get dehydrated and become even manacle at times. Lots of people were having hallucinations. Even I, he records, fought off the hallucinations. But something always brought me back, though. The Israelites get thirsty, and they begin to do some pretty irrational things as well. And they start down a path towards destructive thinking. And they begin to let their openness to God's out-of-the-box provisions falter. And they begin to let their trust in Moses fall. And consequently, they begin to point fingers. They say, Moses, you are our leader. It must be your fault. Have you brought us here to die? Some leader you are. We are here hungry and thirsty. Prove your worth and find water for us. Moses responds by saying that it's not I, it is God whom you are testing. It's God that you're demanding proof of. It's God that should be at their beck and call every time they need God. But they forget that this is not the same God that they found back in Egypt, the God of the Egyptians, who you could call on and you could control. No, this is the God whom Jacob wrestled at the Jabbok River. The one who would not reveal God's name to Jacob so that he could not have control, but rather just gave him the words, I am who I am. A thirst to know that God's presence is near to us can cause us to morph into beings whom we don't even recognize ourselves. So I ask us today, what do we do when we get spiritually hungry and thirsty. What form do we take on when we crave the reassurance of God's presence? Do we tune out those who have differing opinions than us and say, how can God possibly be in their speech? Do we, like the Israelites, desire to go back to the familiar, even if that means slavery, 
for our new situations are in the realm of the unknown. Do we look for a God that meets our own standards, saying things like, I see no river here, so there must be no water, while we overlook the fact that God can make water flow from a rock? Do we point fingers at external influences and we say, you, it's your fault. It, it has done it to me. Do we quarrel with the Moseses in our lives, insisting that somewhere they have led us astray? Or do we try to do what Satan had done to Jesus in the wilderness? Do we try to make scripture work for us? Do we demand of God questions such as, why are you not adding to our numbers daily those who are being saved? And God, why are you not fighting against our enemies and giving us victory? What do we do when we get spiritually hangry and thirsty? I don't think that God is in the business of giving pleasure, of satisfying thirst, but I do believe that God desires to nourish God's children. And it's in the nourishing of Christ in the story that Meg read for us earlier that we find a different perspective on managing our thirst. It's the story where Jesus refers back to this Exodus text by route of a quote from Deuteronomy. We find Jesus parched and famished in the wilderness, though, the passage says, nourished. Christ is filled with the Holy Spirit. Christ has gone, without 40, Christ has gone for 40 days without something to eat, and he has all the reason in the world to be hangry and let his anger get the best of him. Nonetheless, it seems the fullness of God, though, within him has helped him to maintain his footing. For when Satan urged him to throw himself off of the pinnacle, Jesus did not take Satan's flippant mention of Scripture and make it work for him. He followed Moses and told the tempter, he should not put God to the test. Christ relied upon the fullness that he had in his spirit to keep the kingdom at the forefront of his mind. He remembered the promises of God and held them higher than the reality of his situation, even when he was tempted with scripture. Friends, you and I face days of longing Longing to know that God's presence is here with us and among us. We might find ourselves asking, have you brought us here to die? Is God with me here or not? But in those times, I urge us to keep in mind the always present God. To let our hearts keep a record of those times that God has been working in our lives and remember that God will see our calling through to fruition. God may not satisfy us, but God will give us the nourishment that we need. God today is here with us, among us, and around us. Like Snickers urges us to do, let's not let our hunger get the best of us. And what better way to be reminded of our needs and God's satisfaction this day a day when we take communion together, when we can taste the blood, the cup of Christ that he offers to us. This is not a meal that we have to call on God to perform, 
to demand that God show God's provisions are here among us. It's one that's freely given to us that we may take and know that we are filled. It's World Communion Sunday, so today we gather around this table with the parched and the filled alike. May God fill you through this meal, no matter what situation you find yourself in today. Let us pray together. God, when we are desperate to know that you have a hand on our journey, that your presence is near to us, please keep us from drinking the salt water. Keep our thoughts and actions focused on the kingdom. Fill us with your spirit that we may be followers of Christ. Amen.